Welcome to the podcast, Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where I connect authors with their readers. We also talk all about the author's inspiration, their journey to publication, and the authors will educate me and you, the listener, all about the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter, also known as The Author's Librarian. This episode of Authors of the Pacific Northwest is proudly sponsored by Publisher Rocket. Publisher Rocket will help you get your book in front of more Amazon shoppers so you can spend less time marketing and more time writing. I highly endorse Publisher Rocket because it helps you to find keywords, it defines competition categories, and it even helps you with developing Amazon ads. I use Publisher Rocket for my first book and it helped me get it ranked into some of the top rankings for its categories. So if you want to learn more about how to use or get Publisher Rocket, check out my show notes and there's a link right there for you. Now let's get to the show. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And today I have the privilege of introducing you to one of my favorite authors in the community that I've met. Um, So say hello to Jan Bonos. So Jan, say hi. Can I just wave or will that yeah, count? Yeah, you can wave. It'll count. Everybody knows that I don't show the video. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me, Vicki. It's nice to be here. I am so thrilled to finally get Jan on. So for you listeners that have listened to a few of my podcasts, you know that I do some community work in my area with WordFest with Alan Rose, who is also one of my good friends and has taught me so much about writing. Um, He's also one of Jan's friends. And so we've had Jan come on several times during the Zoom meetings for WordFest. So I'm just thrilled to have her on the podcast. So (laughs) let's get started with you kind of introducing yourself a little bit. And let's start with what state in the Pacific Northwest you live in, Jan. I am in the southwest corner of Washington State. Uh, We fondly refer to that as the corner of Columbia and Pacific. It's where the river meets the ocean. (laughs) I love that. That's so great. Now, you aren't originally from there, if I remember right. You have relocated, correct? Well, I was born in Seattle. Mm-hmm. I haven't much left the state except to travel. No. <laughs> well, you know, you would be surprised. I think you'll be at my 150th or so author interview, and it's very rare to find um, Pacific Northwest natives. Most of individuals are, you know, from California, whatever. So I appreciate the Pacific Northwest natives. <laughs> I've noticed the influx. It's like we've become a bedroom community of California. Yeah, we have. We have. So, and you're kind of by the coastline, right? You're you're right at the corner. I love it. I am such a coast fanatic and and water and the and the sound. I love anything to do the water. That's why I love living here in the Pacific Northwest. So all you that are listening from not the Pacific Northwest, it rains here a lot. You don't want to move here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't tell them about the last few days where I've been out oh, walking no. on the beach and taking the trail no, to the lighthouse. But it's been so cold. That's the thing. Beautiful. But I've but been cold. out in a t-shirt and jeans and it's been yeah. just fine. And I, I went, got back to the car and it said 43 degrees and I went, uh-oh. Oh, <laughs> I know. I know. I've been enjoying it too. I know. I want to get out and plant, but I know it's way too early. This is our fault spring, and it always tricks me. And I want to get out and start planting, and I'm like, I'm going to kill everything if I do that. So we got to wait <laughs> a few more months. So, Jan, tell us a little bit more about your background um, prior to your author life right now. We'll get into the author life, but what was your background before? Did you um, did you do something else that helps lend to your writing? 
Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say life before writing. I don't remember yes. such a time. <laughs> I can't wait to be on that side of the boat. I do so many Actually, things. <laughs> I started writing when I was seven. Um, oh, I love that. It was a cousin and I sent little messages in the mail back and forth, and we called it the next chapter, and it was just a couple of paragraphs. But at that same time, in fact, the same year when I was seven, I asked my mother if Santa Claus could bring me a blackboard and a piece of chalk, because I knew I wanted to teach. I knew I wanted to teach, and I knew I wanted to write. And my mother, in her wisdom, guided me toward teaching first, and you can do writing after. Pay the bills and then retire. <laughs> uh, that's, that's exactly her thinking on that. Yeah, and yeah. So I did. Uh, I taught uh, for 30 years and 68 days. And uh, <laughs> it did transition into I taught um, elementary for 19 years and then middle school for seven and then high school for four. Uh-huh. Um, they I was one of those people with an old certificate, you know, old person. Yes, yes. <laughs> and they said I could teach anything that I was qualified for and apparently I was qualified for everything when we had a bubble of uh, population of students go through they would move me because I could I, w- I liked it I liked being flexible yeah. I liked doing the different grade levels and I usually focused on English and history that was my major and minor yeah I love it and I was wondering if you had taught English um, at least in high school level um, that's where I thought I was gonna go so I went back to school a little history a lot of my um, listeners don't know the early stages for me. My kids um, went to school and I was going, they started in school, elementary school. And I started working with them as a paraeducator and also going back to getting my degree, starting on my degree. And I, and I at that point thought that I would get all the way up and do English, high school English, which I thought I would love. And I did. I did some dabbling as a um, in the English departments. But then my husband was so smart. He's like, you know, the kids aren't the same as they were when you were a kid. <laughs> and, he's, and he's like, you know, just imagine having, you know, a whole classroom of students that you can't inspire and they don't want to be there. And, you know, he's, you might want to think about something else. And so I started working in higher education at that point. Not that I'm too far away from those same kind of students, I'm telling you, but yeah. they're adults and I can, you know, say, Hey, you're an adult. You need to, you know, do your thing. But um, so, I also yeah. taught at the, at the uh, community college level. Yeah. Um, I was yeah. teaching seniors to write. They were doing their memoirs and things. And oh, that's fantastic. I kept guiding people into writing a column for the newspaper. And then finally the editor got a hold of me and said, why aren't you writing the column? <laughs> and so what, yeah, that, exactly. was, that was the crossover. I, mm-hmm. I was teaching actually junior high at the time, junior high and, uh, and the seniors through the Grace Harbor Community College Outreach Program. And what happened then was I started writing a newspaper column. And I wrote for 10 years and three months. I won 11 state awards. Oh, and that's really awesome, told, Jan. They said, well, thank you. <laughs> they said, <laughs> you should be putting these in a book. Mm-hmm. And I yep. pitched the idea to one um, independent publisher lived up in Puyallup area. And mm-hmm. uh, she she bought. She said, let's do it. We were That's supposed so to do four books, but then, you know, we had a few things happen with the economy and uh, she went out of business. So oh, like me. many independent publishing companies will do, unfortunately, <laughs> it's a hard trade to be in. But she taught me how to do some layout. And um, and then I happened to attend a writing conference where I was a presenter. And one of the other presenters was from Gorham Printing. They're in Southwest Washington also. Uh, they're in Centralia. 
And that woman and I are still very good friends. She does a lot of my editing for me. And Hi. she guided me toward having my books printed at Gorham. And now out of my 15 books, Gorham has done 12. Oh, that's fantastic. I was going to ask you about your publishing journey. If you were self-published, independent published, where you do all of it, or you have um, a small press that you do, or what we call hybrid, or if you're traditional, because I know you have a lot of books out there. And we're going to, we're going to really talk about one particular series that you want to talk about. Um, so is, are you kind of a hybrid then in that case where you um, have done this I, a little bit of everything? <laughs> She's a jack of all trades. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, if you looked up control freak in the dictionary, <laughs> there would be my picture. My picture could probably be a subtitle on little subtext. I, too. <laughs> I, I sell my books uh, mostly at holiday bazaars and craft fairs and things in the mm -hmm. fall, like October, November, December, you're not going to find me on a weekend because I'm out there pitching them someplace. And I had to work to get into some of these bazaars because mm -hmm. it was supposed to be handcrafted, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you know, things that were homemade by the, by the presenter. And I argued that my books were certainly handcrafted and, mm -hmm. and they said no and I said yes and you know we went back and forth for years on some of these venues and then finally I hit it with the right idea and I said the woman who takes the glass the wine glass and writes a name on it in gel pen she didn't make the glass so I made a big poster a big banner for my booth and it says Jan Bono Books author editor publisher layout cover design it's all mine. Love you, and she said, you're right, you get in. And then <laughs> after that, I kept using that example. And now, um, now some people come to me and say, you know, would you like to be at our craft fair? And I'm like, hey, you finally recognize it as an art and craft. Mm -hmm. That's so wonderful. I love that. It's such a great example of what they call now the entrepreneur, right? The independent um, entrepreneur entrepreneur but it's in the authoring business and I I love to like claim that title even though that's I mean I'm just barely even in the realms you know but I love it because it does show that there has to be so many different skills that you're working on as an author it's not I mean if we, if it was just writing the books wouldn't that be just great if we could just sit and write and tell our stories I'd love that I have taken the cover <laughs> photos for several of them I think four mm -hmm. now and I'm and I just mm -hmm. took another one that's going to be for the upcoming book and I also have taken all the selfies for the author's photo on the back. Yeah. Isn't it great? I love it. You're just, I do. Well, I, th I think it's fantastic. And that's why I was so thrilled to have you on because I want so many other people to learn about you. Um, so every time I, I've been in involved in an interview with Jan, it's just a blast. So <laughs> she's just, <laughs> she carries the room. It's so much fun. Um, so Jan, let's kind of backtrack a little bit for my listeners that don't know you. Let's start with kind of what was your first title that you did and what's available for others. And everybody knows that your my show notes will have a complete, you know, place for them to find you. And then let's get all the way down to where the series that you wanted to talk about with us and share with us. Okay. Because it's a lot. <laughs> and I'll sit back and listen. <laughs> oh, you know, you know, she takes over the room is kind of like she talks too much. Well, no, I love it. I'm like, yes, enjoy it. <laughs> I think of my elementary school teachers who, who always check the box and said, you know, talks in class. Yeah, she sure does. <laughs> Well, my journey did start with that newspaper column. Uh, my journey to publication, I, after sending three or four different writers to, you know, go write a column, you'd be good at it. And then finally, 
acquiescing to, well, okay, maybe I'll try it. Um, and I loved it. I wrote a 750 word column for 10 years, three months. I, like I said, I won the 11 awards, but I was, I was always challenging myself to, can I hit 750 words exactly? Yeah, that is a challenge. <laughs> and it was so much fun. It was, it was, it was something I liked to do. And I wrote 272 columns wow. um, before I, I, that kind of, it, I didn't run out of steam, but the editor changed the requirements for the editorial page. And so the opinion mm. was no longer there because what they told me was I was writing the fluff for the newspaper oh, because mm. it was humorous mm. personal mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. and yeah. humorous personal experience. It, it turned out that that is an automatic for me. I love to tell stories. I told stories in my classroom. I think the students learn better through a story example than they do by a recitation of facts or just reading an academic book. So and I, that's proven. That's a proven yeah, way I learned. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. my column in the newspaper, it was the Chinook Observer, and it ran from uh, 1992 until 2003. And the, co- the column was called Through My Looking Glass, and oh. that was because that's the way I look at it. Yeah, yeah. And so when I pitched the first book, um, I had not quite all 272 written, <laughs> about half of them. And the gal said she wanted four books and we do a whole little series of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we know, that didn't happen. When that book came out in 1995, um, it had 68 stories in it. It was divided into about eight chapters and the columns that fit each category. So, you know, there were friends and family, there were sweet mysteries of life, there were holidays, you know, different divisions that I kind of grouped them into. And when it came out, it was on um, almost a newsprint uh, quality of paper. It was a little rougher and it was a little um, beige instead of bright white. So one of the first things I did when I started publishing my own books was go for bright white paper and 12 point font because the first one was done in 11.5. And it wasn't quite big enough. And my mother took a look at it and said, you could make it a little bigger for (laughs) mature eyes. (laughs) Heaven forbid we'd ever say old, you know, (laughs) (laughs) mature eyes. Okay, so I I have ever since. And I'm Mm -hmm. actually considering doing the next book in 14. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's my readership. Uh, yeah, I don't know too many of them who don't wear glasses. No <laughs> kidding, I know. And we were just talking about that before we started on the the recording that we're both in that glasses stage of life. Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, the through my looking glass came out, and then uh, my my publisher um, no longer decided to do that. Uh, there was a downsizing of everything, I think, about uh, 1998, which was yeah. the Enron and a few other things yeah. were going on. And, mm-hmm. and so that mm-hmm. kind of faded out. But she moved to Thailand and became a missionary. Oh, and interesting. She wrote, she wrote me and said, you know, you could do this yourself. Mm-hmm. Come with, up with a name for a publishing company. So I came up with Sandridge Publications. I live on Sandridge Road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't real big of a <laughs> that wasn't hard. <laughs> you know, so so I came up with it, and you know I had something to put on the on the title page, you know, mm-hmm. published by, you know, kind of thing. And then after that, I pitched uh, Looking Glass Two, Volume Two, to about fifty different places, and they all told me that short stories don't sell. Oh. And that was about uh, the year two thousand two thousand one. 
And I kept saying, well, what about chicken soup for the soul? Because they'd started in 1998 and they were yep. quickly growing. In fact, and a huge amount of growth, ridiculous. And a little side right? step here to say that I started writing for chicken soup for the soul. Yep. And I now am one of their top five contributors in the world. I have 55 published stories with them. I love their format that they let, that they have so many authors involved in it. There's so. 101 stories in each book, and mm-hmm. they try not to put more than two stories from any one author. Mm-hmm. But I think the best writing I did in my life was when they told me they wanted permissions for six of my stories for a Christmas edition coming up. But she wrote me a note, the editor, and said, don't get excited. We never take more than two. <laughs> and I wrote her back, and here was my perfect pitch letter. And I said, you would deny your chicken soup family readers the best stories just because someone had more than two. Really and, funny. you know, I, I wrote it a little bit better than yeah, that. Yeah, but the premise. <laughs> and uh, they took five. Oh, well, that's fantastic. A and, record. And chicken yeah, soup pays, uh, pays uh, $200 per story and mm-hmm. 10 copies. Mm-hmm. So I had a thousand dollars and fifty copies. Guess what everybody <laughs> got for Christmas? <laughs> exactly. What? Hmm. I say the chicken soup. Find copies. <laughs> you know, it's just a. It kind of pays enough that I can buy my next computer, my next printer, whatever. Exactly. But, yeah. yeah. So the second book was not Looking Glass Two. The second book was a book I wrote about my fourth grade teaching experiences. In fact, just about one boy. In the fourth grade, one year, his name was Josh, really is, Mm -hmm. still Mm -hmm. is, Mm -hmm. and it's called Just Joshin, A Year in the Life of a Not-So-Ordinary Fourth-Grade Kid. Oh, I love that. And that was divided by month of the school year, and Mm -hmm. the stories that he told, I was telling Josh stories in the staff meetings, and at the faculty meetings, you know, people say, well, we got to wait for a few more people to get here. Hey, Jan, tell us a Josh story. It got to be about November, and somebody said, you are writing these down, right? And I hadn't been. Oh, no. (laughs) And so I went back, but I had written little notes on the uh, daily bulletin that came out to the classroom every day, and I'd I'd write something down that Josh said, and then I started gathering all of these and and continued for the school year. So that's That's a 63 stories, little short stories. They're a lot of fun. And then after that uh, came... uh, it's Christmas, along with Looking Glass 2, because the Josh was practicing publishing mm-hmm. and doing layout myself, which I had never done, and making it fit the right, you know, eight and a half by, well, five and a half by eight, I guess it is, or five and a half by eight and a half. The um, fold a piece of paper in half, and it's that size. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The dimensions. <laughs> we'll just say it's complicated, people, if you haven't done it before. <laughs> yeah, it's a little like, you know, 5.25 and 8.5 yeah. mm-hmm. or something. And you got to figure out the margins if you're right side and left side of the page. Yeah. Um, to, in their, to their credit, and I don't mean it as a plug, and they're not paying me, uh, but they, <laughs> at Gorham Printing, they will do the layout for you. You can pay for it, or you can try mm-hmm. it yourself and put it on PDF. But then if it's mm-hmm. wrong, you have to pay. It's wrong, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, redo it and resubmit. Yes. And, yes. You know, so it's a little challenging, but I am at that point now. But it's taken me a while. It was not a first try. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. a second. Or a third. <laughs> <laughs> so, so after that, it's Christmas as family and friends. Um, 43 stories and three one-act plays because I also write one-act plays. 
I've done nine of them. And the first two I wrote were for a competition in Raymond, Washington, also Southwest Washington. Let's keep it local. And it was a contest and I submitted two plays and I won first and second. Oh, that's great. I love, love reading plays. Um, one gal in my writer's group is a pretty prolific um, play, right? <laughs> As well. And when she brings a play in for us to review and I'm just like, I love it. It's it's such a great thing to read and review and work on. I write enough in between the dialogue, the stage directions that it reads like a story. Mm-hmm. That's what I love when, when it's a good one. That's what it feels like to me is that I can read it as if a story, and then it, it's just great. So cool, man, you are just so prolific. This is awesome. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm, I've got a few things that are coming up that I'm really excited about too. So I better read a little bit faster here. <laughs> Check my notes. And then I wrote my only fiction book at this mm-hmm. point was Romance 101. Oh, romance. You did a romance. <laughs> I did. Well, it's not a whole book of romance. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's 42 sweet, light, delicious, G-rated short stories. See, now that I can get into. <laughs> it's, I had submitted 42 times to Woman's World magazine. That's the magazine at the check stand. It's yeah, like I know Star it and the Inquirer yeah. and then you have Woman's World. Yeah. And I submitted 42 times until I got one in. <laughs> and then I stopped writing. I never submitted another story. I was sending one a week until I bust through that because I really wanted to have that in my credits. And yeah. of course, they're romance and, and they are, God forbid, formulaic. Yes, they're very. Right. Uh, you know, I, I had 800 words to get my point across. When I started writing and sending to them, it was 1,500 words. And oh they my took gosh. it back to 1,000. Then they took it back to 800. And I thought, well, that's real close to my 750 columns. I can probably do that. <laughs> and so I did and finally got in. So I, you know, jumped that hurdle and moved on. <laughs> it's like, I'm bored with this. What's next? And, and what was next was the most difficult thing um, that I've written um, because it's, it's very, very, very nonfiction. Although it still came out with this part of humor and the book is back from obesity and back from obesity is my story. It's my 250 pound weight loss journey. Um, I was very close to 400 pounds. I was 396. And as I started feeding the person I wanted to be, I documented it. And oh, I wrote them funny. as if I were writing a column, as mm-hmm. if I had, you know, I was maybe diary or, or mm-hmm. food journal or something. And I, I recorded some things. And there were some stories that stood out so strong in my in my memories, as I wrote it, it was, it was an amazing thing. And, uh, and I have mostly sort of kind of occasionally waffled, kept that weight off. Um, mm-hmm. I've gone up of, out of 252 pounds. I've gone up as much as a hundred right now. I'm up about 40 and, and I call that the pandemic weight. <laughs> oh, it definitely is. I will claim that I have that and I'm struggling now to get started to get back healthy again. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm walking every day. I'm riding my become a bike every day. I'm yeah. writing down yeah. what I eat because that was the key was to write mm-hmm. down what you eat and then yeah. you become accountable to yourself. Yeah, that's what I, I did a couple of years ago and I did very well. And then the pandemic hit and stopped recording what I was eating <laughs> for sure <laughs> and drinking. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, alcohol sales went yeah. way up in 2000. Oh, yes, I contributed. So y'all know. <laughs> Well, in between some of these books, I was writing poetry, and I wrote uh, two poetry chapbooks. Um, bar Talk was one of them. Things I wrote in the bar when I was just sitting there, you know, 
fun. finding something to do instead of you know try mingle conversations yeah yeah you know, right observations down and chasing rainbows was the other one and then um i had about eight books out two looking glass it's christmas just joshing romance 101 back from obesity bar talk and chasing rainbows that's eight books and my mother bless her pea pick and heart she gives me so much advice <laughs> she said honey are you ever going to write a whole book <laughs> well i'd been sitting on a book a series really a cozy mystery series since 1981 when i first first wrote down you know maybe there'd be this character and maybe she'd do this and maybe she'd do that and i wrote some little scenarios that might happen in book one and book two but and at one point it was as big as 12 or as small as four and i didn't know how many of the series was going to go and i didn't even have her last name for 15 years mm -hmm. i love it <laughs> but her name was sylvia because mm -hmm. i had created her one time i had visited lincoln city and it was the sylvia avery uh, mystery series is what came out of it but the sylvia beach hotel is a bed and breakfast in Newport. Mm -hmm. And and it's a it's it's dedicated to authors. Have you been there? Mm -mm. Okay, nope. so it's uh it's way out on the cliff and their restaurant is called the Table of Contents. Oh, I just so we're putting this on my to-do list. <laughs> <laughs> and the the uh, rooms themselves are each dedicated to an author. Mm -hmm. So in the Edgar Allan Poe room, there's a pendulum that swings over the bed. Oh, that's fantastic. There's a stuffed <laughs> raven on the bureau. When you open the bathroom door, it screams. Um, yes. The other door, you think it's a closet, and it's not. It's mortared in brick, and there's a jester's hat sticking out of it. <laughs> We're and, going. Uh, I'm booking from, now. Booking now. <laughs> I'm a cask of Malchalato. Um, There was the uh, Robert Louis Stevenson room. It had mm. hammocks, and it was like being on the ship going off for Treasure Island or someplace. Oh, that's very so, cool. Agatha Christie had shoes sticking out from underneath the drapes. <laughs> and, and so I, I went out that night and I met some people and they said, what's your name? And I don't know why I said Sylvia. <laughs> it was just, it just came out of my it mouth. Just came out. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so by the time the night was over, I was also saying that I was a psychic and I lived in Seattle. And yes. so I, my you persona, your whole story Sylvia, persona down. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I had this Sylvia always played in my head. And 15 years later, I was in Jackpot, Nevada, and Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show was there. Now, that was way before you were born. Early 70s, uh, Dr. Hook had a lot of, of real good songs. Well, danceable songs. You make my pants want to get up and dance. And she was only 16 on the cover of the Rolling Stone. Um, but his big one was Sylvia's mother. And Sylvia's mother said, Sylvia's leaving. She's catching the five o'clock train. And the guy's calling because he's got to talk to her. You know, and so he's calling and it's her mother that answers. And he says, please, Mrs. Avery, I just got to talk to her. I want to tell her goodbye. And I, and I screamed in the concert, which was all full of people my age. And we were all screaming anyway. But I went, Sylvia's last name is Avery. Oh, I love it. And it became instantly, this was 1996, the Sylvia Avery mystery series. And I've been using Sylvia since 1981. So 15 years to get the, <laughs> the last name. And then it wasn't until 2011 that I wrote the first whole book. Oh my goodness. And so I say the first, <laughs> the first uh, book took me 31 years to write, but after that, it got a little faster. <laughs> you knew who she was and where she was going, what she was about. Yeah. So now I, I have completed 
mm-hmm. the sixth book, Sylvie Avery mystery series. And, and is it uh, is it a true cozy mystery where there's a dead body but no gore and all of that? And I she don't even have a dead body all the time. Oh, I love that. See, that's my thing is that that's what I love about cozy mysteries. And I think someday I might end up venturing there too because I love to solve them, but I I don't like to read gore and be a part of any. Well, the definition. Thanks for asking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cozy mystery. Nice lead there, Vicky. Oh, uh, I might be good at this. <laughs> you, you might have done this once or twice before. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> the definition I use for a cozy when I'm selling the books in the in the fairs and bazaars and things is that a cozy has no graphic violence, no obscene language, no explicit sex scenes. Yeah. And at that point, the husband, if he's with her, says, what good is it? <laughs> and I said, but what it does have, it has an amateur sleuth, usually female, mm-hmm. and she works with the police department in a small town which I just happen to have one handy. Exactly. And there's a lot of humor in it. Um, mm-hmm. This is kind of like Murder, She Wrote, mm-hmm. except I know I'm funnier. <laughs> I and love I that, that show, though. Absolutely no blushing. Growing up, I loved that show. And that, and that must be where my whole idea of cozy mystery, idea of writing something in the future comes from, because I was a kid and they were reruns. And I, oh, man, when they came out, I was, loved it. They were so... They're fun. <laughs> well, cozies will not keep you awake at night. Mm-mm. They're not Stephen King. It's not going to be graphic. It's 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 as I wrote the fluff newspaper column. I also wrote <laughs> write. I don't know if that's past tense yet or not. I keep thinking maybe there'll be a sequel in a couple of years. Uh, <laughs> I, I love those characters, yeah. and I um, I found that you know the characters just grew on me, and as mm-hmm. I as the personalities develop and people say, do you have to read them in order? I would highly recommend that mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. their, their relationships grow and they blossom and you find out why she's riding a motorcycle or why he inherited a casino. You mm-hmm. know, the, things, the reasons back there are just as important to the, the setting as the actual physical place. Yeah. So do you, do you see yourself continuing the series until, I mean, do you have an end in your mind or where you think it might end? Number six ended it. Oh, okay. It okay. did. In fact, I was so scared that it wouldn't, mm-hmm. that on the back of the book, it says, in this sixth and final episode. <laughs> I have to commit. <laughs> I am not going to do this. And I ended it because there are some books that I have, you know, kind of in my holding tank of back of my head. Um, that I've wanted to write for many years. And when I decided, okay, that's done, let's turn to the one you've been, it's a story that is based on a true story. And I thought, okay, I'm going to jump into that. And I started working on the synopsis and I stopped. And I said, I can't write this. Not because it's too personal, not because it's a little more graphic, but it's because I've never written true drama. I've never written suspense or thriller or whatever, but then I thought, well, I'd never written poetry before and I'd never mm-hmm. written chicken soup and I'd never written one act plays and I'd never written a whole book for my mother. And you know <laughs> what? I can write this. I just have to teach myself to do it and, and yeah. start reading more about, you know, yeah. people that do it that way and see what I yeah. can do. So my transition book right now is after the six books came out is to write, I'm writing 12 short stories Mm -hmm. and it's more edgy 
It's not totally edgy. We still don't have a lot of graphic violence. There's a little mention of a bullet hole through a head, maybe, but it's not, you know, the oozy goozy stuff. And um, in the 12 stories, which I'm also setting on the Long Beach Peninsula, I think it's I think it's fun when you can say, oh, I've been there. Exactly. No, <laughs> oh, I, I know that bakery or you mm-hmm, know, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the Cozy Mysteries, I changed the names of the town a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I took Iwako and I called it Unity because in 1865, it was really called Unity. Oh, that's smart. The Civil War. Mm-hmm. And they, they changed the name to Unity. And it only lasted about a year because it just didn't hook. It, it didn't mm-hmm. hook people. And, and you know. So what a great name for a, a book city, right? Little town. <laughs> yeah, Little Town Unity. And Long Beach was mm-hmm. founded by the Tinkers. And it was originally called Tinkerville. Oh. Only in my book, I call it Tinkerstown. Oh, I love it. And then one of my students found out about that. And she actually bought a little strip mall um, down by the theater in Long Beach. And it's Tinkertown Mall. Oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> and it's like, well, gee, I know where that came from. <laughs> I love it. Jan, I love it. Okay, so you're so you're done with that six book series. And that's what you're going to share with us is that. Uh, reading from that series, correct? That's correct. Okay. But you are starting the synopsis of your next series, if I'm hearing correctly. I'm not doing a series. I think I'm going to do some standalones. Oh, the short stories. The short short stories stories. is first. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's to teach me how to write with a little more attention in it. Although I find myself smirking. In fact, if I told you the title, see, Ladies and gentlemen of the listening audience, I'm seeing her face on Zoom. <laughs> and I'll bet if I tell her the title, she's going to smile. So okay, I'm going to try not to. Okay, the title of this 12 books, or 12 stories of murder and mayhem is called Is There Room in the Backyard for One More Body? You have to smile, <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> my mother gave me the title. No, that's so good. Because she called me one day, and this is one of the stories. I'm Mm -hmm. actually, my mom has passed now, and so has everybody else in that story except me. So I'm writing really close to the truth, but Mm -hmm. we didn't kill anybody, really. We didn't. But she called (laughs) me. Thank you for telling that. She said, she said, she that was her lead. I said, Hi, mom. And she said, Is there room in your backyard for one more body? And I said, said, Why me? (laughs) <laughs> why me? Why my backyard? You've got other children. And she said, Oh no, yours is the best. You don't have nosy neighbors that are too close. And she so says, when you see us digging, and I said, Do you know that a cadaver dog can smell a body that's 15 feet under the ground? And she said, Well, no, I didn't know that. And I said, I can't dig that far, Mom. <laughs> and and we started plotting the demise of this man that she had taught to waltz. And oh. And she said, but he, now he's dancing with all the women there. And I have taught him to waltz, so I'd have a dance partner. Oh, she liked to go out and listen to country western music. Yeah. And I said, well, yeah. we can probably find a way to get rid of it. She says, well, couldn't we just stuff him in your septic tank? <laughs> and so we started then looking up things. Oh, boy, if our, if our internet searches are ever, you know, taken by oh, the... Oh, I love it. We started looking up, you know, what will dissolve the bones better? Is it lye or is it hydrogen peroxide? And you know, I mean, it was so much fun. And, and we had <laughs> these conversations for a couple of years. Oh, that's and really so funny. The story that, oh, and one of the, one of the major points of that story is, um, I said, but what if it's like, she said, well, we could just stuff him in there alive. And then he'd see all the crap that's piled on his head. And I said, not unless we put an LED lantern in there. And she said, why an LED? And I said, it won't take up the oxygen. He'll have to live longer. 
And, and so we, we played like this all the time. And then, um, and then I lost my train of thought. <laughs> well, that's a well, good they, Oh, I got it. So okay. she said, well, if we stuffed him in there and he was alive. And I said, but mom, then every time I flushed the toilet, I could hear him scream. And she said, oh, it would be just like the Telltale Heart. So the name of the story, that story in the book is called The Telltale Skull. Oh, that's really funny. I love it. I love it. That's so great. So listeners, if you are intrigued with that little banter back and forth, you definitely have to get on Jan's website and keep an eye on it for when these stories come out, because I'm sure you'll enjoy them. So Jan, in essence of time, I think that it is time for me to sit back and listen some more, which I can, I can talk listen for to a couple you more hours. Day. I know you could, <laughs> but it is the end of my day. So, <laughs> and I got to edit this too, eventually. Um, so how about um, you do your reading for us and let my listeners know that I go quiet during that time. So I'll let you go ahead and go for it. Okay. Thank you. This is from Crab Bait, which is the third book in the Sylvia Avery mystery series. And this is how the book begins. Deputy Frederick Morgan, what in heaven's name are you doing here standing on my front porch at, I grabbed his left hand, brought it up close to my face and peered at his wristwatch, at 5.30 in the freaking morning? Freddie grinned, his dimples immediately softening my imitation morning mad. It was hard for me to keep a stern face around him, especially when he looked so darn handsome in his police uniform. Good morning to you too, Sylvia, he said making no attempt to disguise his elevator eyes running up and down my body. I had come to the door clothed only in a well-worn Navy and gold high school football jersey. His jersey, in fact. I dropped his hand and made a half-hearted attempt at modesty, moving to step behind the partially open front door. I repeat, Deputy Morgan, what in the world are you doing here at this ungodly hour? Freddie's smile evaporated, his eyes narrowed. Suddenly, he was almost all business. As much as I hate saying this, Syl, he interrupted himself to shake his head and wrung his tongue over his lips, still giving me the once, or maybe that was the twice over. This isn't a social call. You're going to need to pull on some publicly acceptable clothes and come with me. Come with you? Where? Was it my imagination, or had his words suddenly increased my heart rate, and not in a good way? Down to the docks in Unity. Unity? The docks? Oh my gosh, Freddie, is your dad okay? Freddie's father, Rich Morgan, was the sole owner and proprietor of a charter fishing vessel. He'd gotten into a bit of unintentional legal trouble a few months before, and he was making it right by occasionally taking special needs students out on the Columbia River in his boat. I sure hope that whatever was putting such a pained expression on Freddie's face had nothing to do with Rich or with any of the school kids. No, it's not Dad. Freddie cleared his throat. Sheriff Donaldson called me out early today to come pick you up. I'm not at liberty right now to tell you much more than that. I resisted the urge to punch him in the upper arm, remembering just in time that you can usually catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. Instead of popping him in the shoulder to get his attention, I calmly ask in the softest, sweetest voice I could muster, So exactly how much more can you tell me, Deputy Frederick Harold Morgan? Hmm? I turned before I could resort to batting my eyelashes and quickly headed to my bedroom to dress. Freddie stepped inside the house and closed the front door, following me without invitation. We went back down the hall. He knew the way. It wasn't as if we'd never spend any time in there together, despite the fact that Deputy Morgan was nearly 15 years my junior. 
I guess I can tell you that the Coast Guard is currently escorting a crab boat in from the ocean, and your presence at the dock has been requested by someone on board. I had already pulled on a pair of jeans and was struggling to get a hot pink hoodie over my head when his words slammed into me like a bug on a motorcycle helmet's visor at 70 miles an hour. It was a crazy mixed-up metaphor, or maybe it was a simile. But frequently being the one on the inside of the helmet, I knew from experience that his words left me feeling utterly gobsmacked. I began to hyperventilate, unable to find the neck hole in the hoodie for my head. Panic threatened to engulf me when two strong yet tender hands aided me in getting my flailing arms into the sleeves, and I gasped for air as my head emerged. Freddy! Even I could hear the uncharacteristically high pitch of my voice. Who asked for me by name? Who do I know is in trouble, Freddy? Tell me, Freddy, who? Freddy looked down at his shiny but non-regulation cowboy boots and sighed. Then he lifted his dark eyes to mine and said softly, Meredith. Meredith, I echoed. Meredith, my mother? Without waiting for confirmation, I crammed my feet into a pair of slip-on tennis shoes, grabbed my purse from the bureau, and began running for the squad car in the driveway. Lock the door on your way out, I hollered over my shoulder. As we wheeled out of the driveway, Freddie turned on the flashing blue lights, but not the siren. He stepped heavily on the accelerator and shot me a quick look of compassion. The fact that your mother was able to ask for you by name should be some kind of reassurance, he said. If Meredith were totally unable to communicate, then you'd have something to worry about. The very suggestion of my mother not being capable of talking nonstop evoked a wan smile but there were too many unsettling variables for me to take more than the smallest comfort from Freddie's words. What else do you know, Freddie? I've probably told you too much already, he said. Sheriff D is going to have my scalp. Under normal circumstances, I would have laughed. Freddie Morgan is one-eighth Native American, and only because of his heritage can he get away with such politically incorrect comments. But these were not normal circumstances, and I thought I might chew my way through my lower lip before we finished the 10-mile trip from my house straight down Sandspit Road to the Unity Marina. A few minutes passed in silence, then Freddie said, Do you have any idea what your mother might have been doing out on a crab boat last night? As a matter of fact, I did. But it rather miffed me that Freddie was playing, plying me for information when I couldn't get any back in return. Nevertheless, I took a deep breath and honestly answered his question. Her friend Nova Johansson asked mom to come along with her when she headed out to pull up crab pots yesterday. Whoa, said Freddie, shooting a quick glance my way. Since when does your mother moonlight as a crab fisherman? I knew he was trying to make light of the situation, but his attempt at humor wasn't helping. I blew out a deep breath. Meredith was asked to come along in case any medical issues arose with Nova's husband on board. You better start at the beginning, said Freddie, this time without taking his eyes off the road. Why might her husband need the services of a retired registered nurse? Nova's husband, Matthew, has Parkinson's. He was diagnosed a couple years ago, about the time he turned 62. That's when he started training Nova to run the boat and to do crab fishing by herself. She's been doing the lion's share of the work for the past year or so, but at the start of this season, Matthew was no longer able to come along. His disease had progressed enough that although he could stand with a cane and take a step or two by himself, He needed a wheelchair almost full-time. Nova just finished having the boat modified to accommodate him. He's not able to be much help with the crab pots, but he can still pilot the boat, and he was eager to go back out there on the water. He's worked on the ocean his whole life. Freddie's face brightened. Oh, I think I've met Nova. Does she wear a lot of plaid flannel and have short, spiky gray hair? 
Uh-huh. I smiled at the thought of Nova's hair. Her hair looks tousled and windblown, whether the wind is blowing or not. She calls it her patented beach dew. She must have been the gal down at the docks a couple months ago, asking Dad all kinds of questions about how he modified his boat for the special needs students. I nodded thoughtfully. Now that you mention it, I'm sure Nova was telling me about Rich's helpfulness. Freddie slowed but did not stop at the first intersection of three between my house and the port, then picked up speed again. He shot me another quick look. To tell you the truth, I kind of hoped Nova was single. Dad sure seemed interested, and it would have been good for him to have a woman in his life again. I couldn't tell for sure if Freddie were being sincere or being snide. Rich and I had been friends for years, just friends. But lately, Freddie had gotten the idea that he was in competition with his dad for my affection. I'm not quite sure just how I really feel about Freddie, but dating Rich was not, and had never been, on my radar. I decided to dodge the comment about his dad's love life and change the subject. Yesterday was the maiden voyage of the Estrella Nueva with Matthew on board. Estrella Nueva? Yes, it means new star in Spanish, I explained. Matthew named his boat after Nova. A lot of fishermen name their boats after their wives. A new star is a Nova. Get it? Uh-huh, said Freddie, nodding. But my dad named his boat Geraldine after his mother. And my mother considered Geraldine my dad's mistress. While we'd been chatting, Freddie had already navigated the third and second and third intersections and adeptly wheeled into the port parking lot. He pulled in and parked as close as he could get to the docks. Sheriff Donaldson's SUV was there, along with an ambulance but neither vehicle had its lights flashing. I wondered if that was a good sign or a bad sign. Sheriff Carter Donaldson, at six foot four, even without his Stetson, towered above the cannery workers gathered to see what was going on. He took a few steps in our direction, nodded politely to acknowledge me, but then narrowed his eyes and scowled at Freddie. I thought I asked you to retrieve Sylvia without sharing information with her about why she was being summoned. Freddie looked uncomfortable, but said nothing. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. So listeners, if you aren't hooked, I don't know why. <laughs> this is great, Jan. I love it. So Thank listeners, you. you you know that you can go on show notes and Jan, I'll have your website there so individuals can find you. Is it's there... so easy. Janbonobooks.com. Janbonobooks.com. <laughs> awesome. Is there other ways for individuals to find you? <laughs> <laughs> well, people say, where do you sell your books? And I say, yes. out of my trunk. <laughs> um, when wow. when an author um, self-published uh, puts their books in any bookstores or gift shops or any place else uh, there's 40% goes straight to the uh, shop owner so there's 40% and it's about 40 45 or better percent to to um, have them printed and that means I'm getting less than anybody else and I wrote it yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so go the, the, the easy website. answer is you can find it online, or you can watch your neighborhood in Southwest Washington for a um, a craft fair, holiday bazaar, or something. But there's one more way, and that is my phone number is on all my business cards. It's on the back of my books. It's on my website. And if you're coming to visit Long Beach, Washington, you can certainly call me, and we can make arrangements for me to drop some books into your hands. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, Jan, it's been a delight having you on the show. Listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast and you um, 
and you met Jan for the first time, definitely let us know. Let her know that you heard her on the podcast. We never know who's actually hearing us out in this cyber, cyber darkness, right? So, so send her an email, tell her hi, ask for her phone number so you can meet her at Long Beach. <laughs> well, so on Facebook, uh, Jan yeah. Bonobooks has a Facebook page as well Fantastic. as I have a personal page, but usually people go to the Jan Bonobooks page but, to find out where I'm going to be. Okay, fantastic. Well, everybody tune into that as well. Dan, thanks so much for being here. It's been a privilege, honor, and a blast as usual with you. And I can't wait to see you face-to-face again, because I think that'll be coming up soon for us here, at least with WordFest. Fingers crossed. WordFest will be in person, yeah. (laughs) Yes, yes. So thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Vicki. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Make sure you jump on the show notes and find the author, buy their books, write a review. And most importantly, you can find out more about me and my projects at one of my two websites, www.squishpin.com or theautherslibrarian.com. And until next time, this is Vicki J. Carter, the Authors Librarian, signing off.